0: Well, welcome back to the Chord of Three podcast. Uh, it has been a couple of weeks since our last episode, but we're glad to be back on track. Uh, it has uh, been a kind of a crazy couple of weeks uh, as we have celebrated uh, the new year, bringing in the new year in Nashville with some good friends of ours from our school.
1: Yes, that was really fun.
0: That was I had cool. never been there. I'd been there one other time. That was to see the Georgia Bulldogs play at Vanderbilt. That was a really, really long time ago. When, when Georgia you were a student? Was, when I was a student. Mm-hmm. And Georgia wasn't that great as they are now.
1: Mm-hmm. Whoop, whoop. Well, I enjoyed Nashville. You know, the music scene. I'd like to go back. We just weren't able to do, you know, a whole lot at the time of the year that we're there. And the, mostly the trip was to be with our friends. Um, I think Lizzie said that she doesn't care to go into any more boot stores. We, we did do that a lot. because they got we a lot were of all, boot stores. And we were all wanting a pair of boots. I mean, almost everybody in the group, I think, got a pair. And that was great. You know, you got you some uh, unique pair of boots. And once she found hers, right, she was done with the boot stores. But maybe we could go back another time and do some of the music scene.
0: I'd like to go back and do the... Mm-hmm country music hall of fame yeah. i'd love to go inside the Ryman auditorium yeah, i'd right love to, to see i would i would love to go back and see a concert
1: that would be cool
0: yeah now you know me i'm not a huge crowd no, fan
1: no no we saw that but to
0: see a country music concert there maybe like at a Ryman auditorium or you something can like handle that. that i can handle that
1: okay Cause you did not do so well.
0: No, 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 no. I was ready. I was about ready to walking
1: knock downtown at night on Broadway. Yeah, I was
0: about ready to knock somebody out, <laughs> knock a few people out. Yeah, that was getting on my nerves.
1: I did enjoy the murals, though. It's just, that's something that Nashville is kind of known for. Yeah, the murals, especially were downtown and in alleyways, and um, just some neat murals. We got pictures in front yes. of. Heard stories about.
0: Nashville really has a cool vibe.
1: It does. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, now, the, the interesting thing is <clears throat> that our first morning there, myself and a couple of our couple of uh, people that uh, went with us, John Gillum, Allison Norris, we all went downtown. The three of us went downtown for a, uh, a run. There was hardly anybody downtown. And that was going to be on the day that Tennessee and Purdue were playing in the Music City Bowl. And then, um, uh, and then obviously, we were going to go back down there that evening and later in that afternoon do all of our stuff. Anyway, really uh, cool experience. But, you know, downtown during the day, it wasn't all that busy. But, but all then, of a sudden... They converge. Oh my gosh. It
1: comes to life.
0: It was unbelievable for football for how many people were Mm -hmm. downtown. It Mm was it was crazy. I was ready to be alone for a little bit.
1: Talking about football.
0: Yeah. Go
1: dogs.
0: How about them dogs? Yes. It has been forty one years Mm -hmm. since the dogs won the national championship. And, you know, as I think about that, I'm thinking, you know, the movie Rudy yes,
1: is, your favorites?
0: is one of my all-time favorite movies. I will watch that movie, and I will cry every time.
1: It's true. He does.
0: I will cry every time. When, they, when Rudy gets to go out onto that football field, and he's on the special teams, and he ain't got a clue where he's got to be, and he gets out on the special teams for their kickoff. Because the team figures out a way to get him back, get him on the field. um, Because he's not really considered a part of the team until he actually gets one play in the game. And he gets onto the field, he gets his uh, special teams, he gets in there. And then on the first play of defense, he he sacks the quarterback. Holy cow. And then they carried him off the field. Man, I, and I still I get, I get weepy just thinking about it <laughs> I get we so every good movie needs a good sequel
1: so we're so, gonna win the national championship again
0: so, so no 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 oh no 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 Stetson Bennett he's the sequel to Rudy oh okay. they've got to yes. come up yes I mean the, Stetson was a walk-on
1: walk-on so right. was Rudy going against the Heisman winner Rudy was small yeah
0: Stetson ain't that big.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He ain't that big.
1: But the mailman delivered. But the mailman
0: delivered, and and somebody in movie world has got to be thinking this is another movie. This is another Rudy. This is a Rudy esque <laughs> movie. Maybe they will. The only thing is, the only thing is, is nobody carried Stetson off the field. Uh, but he does have one more year. He's coming back. Yeah. He's got one he more says year. He's we got back. you know, mm-hmm. so. It's a, uh, it is a story made for the movies, and it is it is the sequel to Rudy. And I can't wait till it comes out because I, I I know they will make that movie, and I'll cry every time I watch it. Yeah. And when they did win the national championship, obviously we were over at our friend's house, and we were watching the we game. We teared up. Yeah. I, it was emotional. It was an emotional experience.
1: I mean, you, especially, you grew up, your dad taking you, you know, to the Bulldog Club and pictures. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: It. And
1: then both of us graduating. That's yeah. where we met. A lot of special memories. I mean, I was nine years old. Mm-hmm.
0: I was nine the last time Georgia won a national championship. It... It's fun to to be a part of. To go through all of that and to watch the ups and the downs and then uh, it just was... And to be so close on other times, it was just an awesome experience. It really was. It really was. But uh, anyway, moving on, moving on. We are thankful for the dogs, but uh, one of the things that as we've gotten back settled into a little bit of a normal routine now, uh, I had the opportunity the other day to go and speak at an FCA huddle mm-hmm. at Oconee County High School, and I and I had probably one of the neatest experiences that I've ever had in probably my I, I will venture to say in my 30 years of doing ministry and speaking in public and. Speaking to students and groups and this sort of thing. Probably had the neatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. And that was uh, during my talk. We probably had, I don't know, there's probably about 30, 30 kids or so. You go there. before
1: school starts. Yeah, we were
0: there. I was there before school. This was on Friday. I was there before school. And uh, they had good groups good group of kids there some of our kids from church church uh, some of the girls in your group. small group that yeah. are in leadership um it uh it was just a really good group of kids that were there In t- you know they were they were engaged they were listening. it's their first time back yeah it's their first time back got yeah, to kick yeah, it this off year. this year mm-hmm. so anyway i'm talking about there's a passage in the scripture. Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus um, is talking about... Uh, well, the, the scripture refers to Jesus going into all the towns and villages, and he's healing the sick and every sickness and every disease. And it goes on to say that Jesus had compassion on them because they were distressed and dejected. That was the word there in Matthew 9. And and then he Jesus characterizes the distressed and the dejected by saying he said they're like sheep without a shepherd and i said and i just threw it out there i just like just threw the question i wasn't even planning on this it was like ask the question it was like god says spencer ask the question and i asked the question not really expecting anything in return or feedback from any of the kids and i said does anybody have any sheep (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't expect many people would.
0: I mean, this is Oconee it's, County. I mean, we, I mean, we,
1: we do have farm. And we got
0: plenty, there's plenty of farms, but it's mostly cows or people are raising cotton. Mm-hmm. Every now and then you may see a few other places where there's or, yeah. like goats mm-hmm. and chickens or something like that. But mostly it's cows.
1: So you threw the question out what happened?
0: The girl sitting right in front of me. I mean, I'm standing up. I'm facing Uh the group. There's a girl, young girl. She's standing. She's sitting right in front of me. Her name's Lexi. And when I asked that question, her face just beamed. Her face just lit up. And she raised her hand. She goes, I do.
1: Wow. I was
0: like, what? You have sheep? She said, yeah. I said, y'all, I said, let me just go ahead and preface this what we're about to engage in here in terms of our conversation because I'm going to have a conversation with Lexi for just a minute and I want you all to hear this this was not planned right this is purely of the Lord and so I just threw out the question I said all right Lexi I said if I were to come to your place and I go to your sheet And if I started calling your sheep, would they come to me? She said, no. I said, why is that? She says, they don't know you. They don't know you. Um, They don't trust you. And she started explaining how sheep um, are somewhat skittish. Uh They aren't the smartest. I've heard that. in in, In the animal kingdom. But they also need protection. They need security. They need uh, tenderness. They need to be able to trust a voice. Well, I asked her the question. I said, "Okay, if you go into your sheep pen and you call your sheep, what do they do?" She goes, "They come running." They and I said, "Why is that?" She says because they know my voice. Wow. I was like, y'all, here's the thing about Jesus, is that He's the great shepherd. And when we know Him, when He calls us, we should go running. We, and, and, and when we know Jesus, our great shepherd, He removes the distress from our lives, he removes the dejection from our lives, and He brings us into His fold. Mm. And I said, you guys, all right, you guys are surrounded by people who are distressed and dejected. And in this passage, Jesus, not then instead of, all right, He's saying that, These people are like sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, I want you to pray. And this is what I want you to pray. He says, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field.
1: Hmm.
0: And in other words, what Jesus was saying is he was, inviting those disciples into a mission to show compassion to the distressed and to the dejected who are like sheep without a shepherd. So in essence, Jesus is saying, I want you guys to pray that God would send more people into this group right here so that they could point people to the great shepherd to remove the distress and the dejection. And that right there, being able to use that illustration, a live, Mm in-person illustration with Lexi, just was powerful. It was powerful and it just nailed home the point that um, Jesus is our great shepherd. He heals every sickness and every disease. Mm. He's the one that's in control. There is no one greater than Him. No one. But yet He invites us to pray and to join Him in His ministry of compassion. Because the the truth is, is the gospel is a ministry of compassion. Right. It's a ministry of compassion to show hope, to bring hope, and to um bring people into green pastures, the green pasture of salvation. It's uh it, it was it was, I'm telling you, it was the coolest experience I've ever, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in, in a speaking environment.
1: That's great, hon.
0: It was really cool. It was awesome. Um so speaking of teaching, so our church uh is in a Teaching series called "Glorious Discontentment" and at the same time, over uh, we've been set. We're seven days into a, a period of fasting and prayer. Mm-hmm. Today is day seven that we're in that, and uh, I'm so thankful for our pastor Jason Britt and his leadership and how he is so intentional about thinking through the next six to 12 months and where, uh, as a church, we need to go. Um, and he's just in tune with the spirit of God Mm -hmm. on what needs to be taught. And in this glorious discontentment series, we're in the book of Nehemiah, which Nehemiah is one of my favorites. I love Nehemiah. He's a rebuilder and, Mm -hmm. uh, just a great, um, spiritual leader in the in the hebrew uh history um it uh it's just been really really good so we're in week two of glorious discontentment today because of the inclement weather we're having to watch everything online so we couldn't attend church in person today but what um what lisa are your takeaways or what was a takeaway from your from from the message this morning
1: yeah i loved it as well just the whole um rebuilding and how when he was setting it up you know he said this glorious contentment it's that we're to live life in this balance of blessing and burdening. that god has obviously blessed us with the gift of his son jesus christ that as we have accepted him we are given everything as heirs with Jesus. But yet there's a burden that we should be concerned with the things that break God's heart. Mm-hmm. So as we live in our blessings, we are to be burdened by the things that burden God's heart and the things that move Him should move us. And the big thing today, that, and he said this early on, it stuck out to me. It's kind of this aha moment is that life is not problem free. Therefore, it can't be pain free. And I think maybe especially those of us that are believers where we got this I don't know, but maybe just kind of this this understood thing of we think well if I'm following Christ and I'm I am in his word and I'm growing and learning Why am I experiencing these problems and this pain and this suffering and this trial? Um, And even on and on throughout the... You know, okay, maybe I experienced this one time. But I think that's what Jason was saying, that we shouldn't have that idea that we're going to have, you know, just pain-free life because we're not.
0: Yeah, it's not like you're going to live in this state of euphoria your whole life, you know, this side of heaven. No. And there are definitely going to be difficulties, even though, you know, going back to that whole conversation and in the, in the message that I spoke at Oconee the other day, mm-hmm. you know, okay, Jesus is the shepherd, uh, the great shepherd, and he sees the people in their distress and they're dejected. Um, and while Jesus does heal it, sicknesses and, and diseases and he is the great physician. He's the ultimate healer. He is all we. He is everything we need. The fact of the matter is, um, there are periods in our life where we're not always going to be like in green pastures. We're going to be in a place where it's distressed and we feel dejected and yes. all of those things. And um, and I think people you know going to what you're what you're talking about because I, I thought that was a and he kicked it he kicked off the message with that big idea he did and I think some people are just like no, if I if I'm going to follow Jesus then everything's going to be okay then no um well you're right no it, it's, it's actually kind of the opposite it's a, it's really going to be kind of because like, yeah. then at the very end yes he, he said you know Jesus promised his disciples three things he said that they would be completely fearless. They because would be, he's given his, because spirit his spirit in us right. that is not a fear. Right. Yes. Uh, he said that they would be absurdly happy. In other words, there's going to be great joy.
1: I would change that to, yes, joyful.
0: Yeah, there's going to yes. be great joy. Um, in the midst of in the midst, any circumstance, deep in, down. Yeah, and then the third thing is is they would be in constant trouble.
1: Yeah. In
0: other words, that not that they would be in trouble, because of stupid things they've done, but they would experience trouble. They would experience hardship. They yes. would experience persecution. They would it's experience. It's a broken world. It's, there's sin in these the world. things. Yeah. Satan. Yeah.
1: Yes, is roaming.
0: Mm-hmm. And in in day seven of my of the fasting and uh-huh. prayer in Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter ten uh, is the passage in there that Paul's talking about the weapons that we. Uh, fight with are not the weapons of this world, but uh-huh. those weapons that we fight with have the have divine power to demolish strongholds. strongholds. So we've been equipped with weaponry. We have an arsenal of weapons that have divine power to, to demolish strongholds. So if we have those, if we've been in, if we've been equipped with an arsenal of spiritual weapons to demolish strongholds then what makes us think that life is just going to be easy
1: right why would he why would we need the armor of god that was one of the why would we need the armor why would we need all of those right because we're fighting a war
0: yeah uh i I met a guy a couple weeks ago he was on our duck hunt trip his name's eddie he's a pastor down in louisiana and um we were in our Bible study during our duck hunt trip, and in our Bible study, he one of the things that Eddie said he goes, "Sucking is a part of life." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Right on, bro!"
1: And then we've said, "Embrace the suck,"
0: and I've said, "Embrace yeah. the suck."
1: Yeah, it's going to happen. It. It's, yeah, what's it's he teaching? Happen. What's he want me to learn? Mm-hmm. Run my dependence on him is where I should be running.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. be completely fearless. And embrace the suck. Mm -hmm. Embrace it. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Because greater is He who's in me than He who's in the world. So,
1: well, so that takeaway and talking about that we're not going to have a pain free life is a good segue into what we wanted to talk about in today's episode. I um, know that Mental Health Awareness Month is in May, but in a previous co- podcast, we did share how a lot of times this, these wi- this winter season, these winter months, December, January, um, actually I think January is called a blue month, just um, can be a hard time for a lot of people that are struggling, and so can any other month or day of the year. Um, I was doing some, looking up some Statistics, because, you know, I'm a numbers person, so I like numbers. And um, on the specific mental health awareness website, it said that 280 million people worldwide deal with some type of depression, anxiety, fear. 280,
0: 280 million?
1: 280 million, yes.
0: I wonder how many of those 280... 280- million um, know that they, they, they even with.
1: deal with it I, I I know I don't know I didn't dig real deep into that statistic to know if is this a number because these people have sought treatment of some kind or mm-hmm. help or is this just based on yes as they see the rise and they chart and use algorithms or to that plot was the out the number
0: of people that have been treated Yeah,
1: I don't know But this, then this is so telling.
0: Still staggering.
1: It is. And and here, listen to these. It was saying on the website that under the age of five, you really don't see it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. But they said they label the word that it is common. Okay, so it is common to be found in six to 12 year olds. It's common for for 6 to 12-year-olds now, in the year we are living in, the times that we exist, it is common for 6 to 12-year-olds to have some form of depression, anxiety, fear. Mm -hmm. It's common. Then it jumps to it is very common. So we go up another level, 13 to 20-year-olds. And the very common continues to sixty plus individuals ages. Isn't that interesting.
0: Common. Yeah. And very common. Yeah. That's sad.
1: It is. It is. And we talked on a previous podcast specifically about how a little bit of your story and how you deal with Um, with the feelings of depression Mm -hmm. during holidays and some practical things you do yourself. Yep. But um, I want to just kind of give a synopsis again, and then I want to dive in deeper to this. But um, can you tell us again about your specific diagnosis when that was mm-hmm. and then I want to go back to what was going on in your life before that time
0: okay yeah I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around what you just said about the whole common and very common mm-hmm. that it's and all, that doesn't that seem like
1: a medical term but
0: that it's normal right that
1: yes all these 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 children I'm around at school, you know, people we're bumping shoulders with, and sitting in church pews with, and going to work with. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know the thing is, is you see it. You can see it in their eyes. You
1: can. I, yes, you especially can the last eyes. few years. Yes.
0: Man, that's a whole other conversation on mm-hmm. why. We would, we would think that, but to answer your question, so in 2017, I was serving as a pastor of a church. I was also uh, serving bivocationally, meaning I'm a pastor and I'm serving in another ministry, uh, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That was my second mm-hmm. job. I'm working two jobs. And there's a lot of pressure that goes into both uh fields of work that I was doing. The at that time I was I had moved into a leadership role with FCA serving as a director over multiple counties, multiple staff, and I was doing that in a part-time capacity, which mm-hmm. I look back and I'm like, I don't know really how wise that was to be doing that um at a part-time level. And then on you know on a paralleled with that is my ministry as a pastor and And it was a
1: church plant and it
0: was a church plant
1: a little different dynamic there
0: a lot (laughs) different dynamic than just your uh, your church that has already been established and um yeah big difference there because you're You've got setup. You got takedown. You've got you've got a meet in a remote location. Then you're having to deal with facilities that are not yours. Are not yours. A, that a third party managing. Yeah, third parties managing. Sometimes you don't know <laughs> if you're going to have air conditioning or heat. You may walk in and <laughs> it's 30 degrees outside and 20 inside uh, the building, and or it could be. 90 degrees outside and 110 degrees inside. We had
1: both. And
0: we experienced (laughs) both. I mean, it just, it, and then on top of that, you're having to raise support for two ministries. Right. Uh, you, as a pastor, you serve in multiple, you wear multiple hats in a church plant. You are the janitor to the administrator To counselor, to communicator of God's word, to organizer of you know staff, and who's going to be leading worship, and then there's so many moving parts and so many layers to that. And then on uh, the other part of my life was spent doing FCA. So I was either early, I was up early in the mornings, either speaking at a FCA huddle or a coach's huddle or in the afternoons I was at a field or I was spending time with coaches at that point doing anything from one-on-ones to getting ready for an event with FCA so
1: how long did you do this juggling
0: that would have been going on for at that time, a little over five years, right out of five years, at that point, in 2017. And um, I reached a point in my life where I couldn't go anymore. I had hit a wall. I hit a wall. In runner's world, some people would say you bonked. you just run out of gas you ain't got any fuel in the tank and you just, you you can't put one foot in front of the other. And for me, it was the things that were going on inside my head, the things Mm -hmm. that I was thinking, the harm that I was thinking about doing to myself, Mm -hmm. the, 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 the negative narratives, the comparison games, mm-hmm. all of these things just were piling up and piling up and piling up. And I can remember the week, that week in September of of 2017, it was the craziest week. And we were without, a worship leader at the church and we would get, I got closer into the week and I never could find anybody to lead worship. Uh-huh. And I know that that's an important part of church ministry. We we need to do worship. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a, a boom box and put a tape in or whatever, or hit play. And then, you know, we're going to do worship or we're going to have a screen lead us in worship with songs that are on there and, and I know that nobody would have cared. Nobody would have cared. No, everybody would If have, that happened. If yeah. that happened. Nobody would have said anything. Nobody. Uh, our people, they would have been just fine with that. But I wasn't. And part of that was because I wanted to impress people. I wanted to please people. I wanted to make sure that we had everything in place and that it was as... It was as best of a worship service as we could create. And so I was more interested in the creation of um, the programming piece. I was more focused on that than I was on the fact that we were worshiping God. Hmm. And it didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. As long as the people were there and we were gathered together to worship and 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 to study the word, that's all that mattered. But I didn't see that. And that's the thing is that I was so much in a fog of pain and discontentment and struggle that I couldn't see that. I couldn't see that what I was doing was not pleasing to the Lord. Um, I thought I was pleasing the Lord. I thought I was, but the truth was is I was more focused on the appearance, and the and the outer appearance, because that's what people pleasing does. Pleasing man, yeah. You're focused on the outside, yes. and and you. It's almost like you're in this place of, you know, um, martyrdom almost, like, and, and you go. You basically you you basically just kill yourself trying to put all of the pieces together, and I was like, I can't do it anymore.
1: So at and, this turning point, how did you seek out help?
0: Well, so the Sunday, the Sunday before, I saw uh, before I saw my doctor. Um. You know, Mondays, every pastor has a Monday hangover. Mm-hmm. Not from alcohol, maybe some of them, but,
1: I hope not.
0: but for the most part, every pastor that is here is within the sound of this message knows that on Mondays, yes. Mondays are tough recovery days for pastors. Mm-hmm. They're not easy. There's a little bit of a hangover that you have from the day before. And basically what happened for me was that feeling of not being able to recover and to re-engage ministry-wise and re-engage with people, that feeling moved into Tuesday and then into Wednesday. And Mm. it felt like I had this elephant on my chest hmm. it felt like i ha- i was carrying the weight of the world on my chest and and on my shoulders and i couldn't do it anymore and i broke i broke and i can remember reaching out to people and asking for help with um with like a worship leader here or asking for help here. And then on top of all that, I was having to prepare for a message that following Sunday. I'm jacked up. I'm jacked up. I can't think. I'm thinking about hurting myself. I don't want to preach this coming Sunday, that coming Sunday. I didn't want to, I didn't want to live anymore, but yet I got to preach come Sunday. And I was toast and um so i can remember very vividly just as we're sitting here today i'm on the left end of our couch you're on in the same seat that you're sitting in right now and i can remember on that wednesday with my with my face and my hands i'm broken i'm hurting i can't think um I'm just a I'm a mess. And I can remember you saying, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need help. And you were basically saying you need to call you need to call Doug. You need to call Doug Duke, my counselor. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first thing I did the next morning. Mm. Um, so I called Doug, left a message. I went throughout my day. That day I was raising money. I had a major donor meeting that day that I was like, Lord, I don't know what you're gonna do, but I need some type of encouragement. I need. Something I went and met with my major donor that morning, and not that this helped you know me to uh like it didn't solve everything, but the interesting thing about that major donor that I met with, he had no idea what I was struggling with, no right. idea. And not many we talked, did. no, we talked right. about. Uh, what was going on with FCA? I put my best foot forward. I had my, you know, I tried to look the part. I tried to talk the part. Tried to do all those things. Share with him what we're doing with FCA. And Joker stroked a ten thousand dollar check, handed it to me.
1: You know, yeah, it didn't solve anything, but maybe that was just God
0: it was showing a, you His presence. It was a it, yes. Yeah. It was a glimpse. You needed. Yeah. It was a glimpse. I needed. Now since that time, that guy and I have talked, and we've shared some things going on in our lives, and Mm. um, and I told him how important that moment was. was?
1: Uh That's good.
0: And um, but it was then we left. (laughs) I left his office, and I go on throughout my day, and then Elizabeth has a softball game, right? At a a at at a school, Mm at a away game, and Doug calls back. Doug calls back. I take the phone call. I step away from the softball game where Lizzie's playing. Standing outside the school on a sidewalk, people are walking around, and Doug starts to do triage on me. He starts asking me questions about how what I'm thinking, what how I'm feeling, all these type of things. And it's – I don't remember many of the questions that he asked, but I remember this one because I remember my answer. And – Doug said, "Spencer, have you thought about hurting yourself?" And the first thing that I did, and this is the crazy thing about people, this is the crazy thing about when you're when you're broken, when you're jacked up, when you have a not when you have a an unclear mind and an unsettled soul. It was a very dark time for me. And I lied.
1: Is there some denial?
0: Okay. I lied. Mm-hmm. I denied it. I was like, "No." I told him. I said, "No." And and I've told people this. It was like God's spirit. You know how sometimes people can play that nasty trick on you, come up behind you and thump you on the back of the head or thump uh-huh. you on the ear. Your ear. Uh-huh. All right. Well, that's what. That's what. God's spirit did to me. He thumped me so dang hard. It was like, bam! I was like, oh, crap. That hurt. And it was like, no, Doug, I have. And I know how I would do it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay. So here's the plan. And I'll, that was, when he said that, I'm telling you, God used Doug Duke in my life in a an incredibly powerful way. Probably more powerful than Doug thinks than he was used by God. But when when Doug said, here's the plan, mm-hmm. I was like, that's what, I needed a plan. I need, I'm gonna work best on a script, so I gotta have a plan. Mm-hmm. And he said, here's the plan. He said, first of all, this is what you got. And he told me what I had. He told me that I had dysthymia, D Y S thymia. Uh-huh. And he said that it was a functional depression and anxiety. In other words, I was gr- I could grind through life, do what I needed to do, but I was having uh I had reached a point where I could no longer grind through life. I could no longer do the work. So, I was dealing with depression and anxiety in a functional way in a way that not many people knew what was going on with me
1: no very few
0: very few and so when uh, so i could hide it i got but the thing is i didn't know i didn't know what i had i had no idea all i knew is i was sucking wind and i was struggling and I was thinking wrongly and I was, my, my focus was on pleasing people and not the Lord. And uh, you just kept
1: thinking, if I do, if if I I do, yes.
0: yes. Uh, If I do more, if I do more, if I do more, if I, all these different things, then, then I'm going to make everybody happy. I'm going to make my family happy. And, and really there was pain and there was anger and there was frustration and I was quick tempered and there's no telling how I wounded you. there's no telling how I wounded the boys, how I wounded Elizabeth. There's no telling the the emotional wounds that I created because of my sharpness, my quickness my all of those things, and so that's part of what life was like
1: mm.
0: and Doug said this is what you have and this is how we need to treat it. And to give it a, a a picture, an even better picture is if you could think, imagine yourself being on a little dingy boat, a little sailboat. All right. And you are in the middle of the lake. It's the middle of the night You're surrounded by fog. There's no light. There's no wind. And there's no body. You're Mm. all by yourself.
1: Mm.
0: If you could imagine that picture, and you're the only one on that boat, that's the way it was for me. That's what I thought. That's how I felt. And I wasn't going anywhere. I had I had I'd had gotten to a point where I felt like I'd lost hope. And the only thing that made sense at that point was to just check out because I was worth more dead I'm worth more dead than alive anyway. And you guys I know would be w- very well taken care of. And and that 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 was that's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. And Doug said, um, he said you need to get in touch with your doctor, and you need to do so immediately. Um, Doug didn't tell me to have to go to the hospital. He said you need to call your doctor immediately, and he's going to ask you a lot of the same questions. And. You're gonna to need to be put on some medication. Okay. I'm liking this plan. Somebody else is calling the shots here and I can follow these instructions. So So there was
1: comfort in that?
0: Very much so. <clears throat> Just like, professional. Final, it was answers.
1: And there's professional people. There's answers, yeah.
0: Is. I got help. There's answers. And and I was willing to change and I was willing to make do whatever i needed to do in order to get better Mm -hmm. i knew i didn't want to live the way i wanted the way i was living anymore Mm -hmm. so it was either it was either put a gun to my head or make significant changes in the way i was living it was one of those two options and putting a gun to my head i didn't want to do
1: But that's a reality that so many people.
0: Oh, yeah. There's a lot. Face. Yes. And and
1: like you said, we don't realize.
0: Well, those people. That
1: these people around us many times are feeling this way.
0: Well, here's the thing, Lisa. Those people that are dealing with that, they don't have wives. They don't have spouses like I have. That would sit on one end of the couch. And look at me and tell me, say, "I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need help and then and then stay with me in order to get that help.
1: Well, I think that's what we need to do for people
0: they don't they don't have 'em
1: yeah
0: and and that was a big deal. that was a big, big deal um I mean, we're in this thing for life or death and or until death, and as a as a spouse, you did your job. You did what, it wasn't that you were coddling me or anything like that. No, it was like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need help. And I don't know how to give it to you other than to tell you you need help, and I want you to do this. I want you to call your, I want you to call your doctor, call Doug, do something, but get help. You know, and it wasn't, uh, now, here's the other problem that other people have. Those other people that are dealing with the problems, that have the problems but don't really acknowledge that they do have a problem, mm-hmm. when, when their spouse does say something and they say, hey, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need help, the other part is just as bad when they have the pride in their life and they say, I don't need help.
1: They don't take ownership. And
0: they don't take ownership. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't own their problem.
1: So it's a joint effort. I mean, you're saying that... This involved counselor, physician, medical physician. Yes. You need a support system.
0: Yeah, and my support system was you. It was Doug Duke. It was Tom Wells, my doctor. It was uh, my boss, Jason Lester. It was my boss over Jason, Dickie Clark. Uh, It was my family. It was people that I had confided in uh, with my Mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was being vulnerable with my weakness to other people. Um, But the support system that was around was tremendous.
1: So talk about how kind of the process played out because it wasn't an overnight boom all of a sudden
0: no, when Doug said, um, when Doug said, you uh, first of all, Spencer, now this was in 2017, mm-hmm. and Doug said, Spencer, you've probably been dealing with this for at least two years, so go back to 2015.
1: Uh-huh.
0: He said, but most likely you've been dealing with it longer than that.
1: And you and I think that, yes.
0: I think it goes, I think personally... I want to say that the depression and the anxiety that I was going through, this dysthymia, I want to say it goes all the way back to 2008. That when in 2008 I experienced a heart condition known as atrial fibrillation and I had to go into the hospital to have that, um, converted back to a normal rhythm where my mm-hmm. heart was put back into a normal rhythm and and I wound but up we think
1: that was all caused by stress and we think that that
0: was all caused by yes. i was in a in a place stress, where I was anxiety. distressed, yes, I was feeling some dejection yes. at that mm-hmm. point
1: mm
0: mm-hmm. and um I was also dealing with the fact that I'm transitioning out of a student ministry role into God knows what role I was going to be in. I had no idea, but I was, I, I was in a place of transition. I was, I was struggling, and so I think that that's where it all goes back to. But there were things in my life that were leading up to 2008, painful circumstances, painful experiences, you name it that just continued to chip away mm-hmm. at at me. And so I think it goes all the way back to mm-hmm. to that point in uh in my life. Um but 2008 I think is really where it started.
1: So if that was like, you know, 8 plus years yeah. of dealing with it, yeah. Then obviously it's going to be a process to come out of that
0: well yeah definitely a process and continues
1: out. I would think to be
0: it has been mm-hmm. so I had to I had to find out um if a uh if any of my family mm-hmm. had struggled with depression mm-hmm. and what kind of medication that they were on because mm-hmm. most likely it was going to be the best medication for me to be on mm-hmm. and uh, so I did that I met with after calling Tommy, my doctor, he met with me the, the following day after talking with Doug. He saw me at 7.15 that next morning and I was in his office for two hours. I think I broke down in his office just weeping three, four times. And But I knew that I had a point and I knew that we were going to be getting better. And we were on that... Trajectory for that, and um both Do, both Tommy and both both Tommy and Doug said, "Look, in about two or three weeks after you're taking this particular medication, the fog is going to lift. You're going to begin to feel a lot better and see a lot more clearly. And at that point, then we need to start the counseling. At that point, mm. then we need to start the process of unlearning mm. coping skills and relearning new ones." Mm. Uh, and applying those into your life. That's good. So over those few weeks, it was a struggle, but I mm-hmm. had to be patient through all that. I got to that third week and I'm like, man, I feel better. I've been diligent on the medication. I've been taking the meds. And, uh, and then Doug and I, we scheduled an appointment that you and I would go to. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I can remember sitting in Doug's office and of course you know here's Doug and he Doug always wears uh you know always wears kind of a tight polo shirt and he's got the big old big old guns for biceps and you know he's a he's a manly man you know and uh he takes his shoes off and he curls up on his couch and he puts his feet up on the couch kind of sits Indian style and he starts just to have a conversation with us and um i don't remember anything that doug said except for this one statement and it really unlocked the keys it unlocked the shackles that had imprisoned me for so long and he said spencer you've got to be okay with disappointing people And when he said that, I was like, I can do that.
1: I have permission.
0: I've got permission to disappoint people. Mm. That was what was rolling through my mind. Mm. And we, you know, then we left and, but that thought, it was like Doug took a branding iron Mm -hmm. and he just, he placed that onto my heart and onto my soul. And, say, and, and it's never left. And what it did, though, it didn't set me on a course to intentionally go and disappoint people. What that did is that it, it changed the trajectory of my mind and my soul to fix my eyes on Jesus and to please Him and Him alone. That was my goal that whatever I do, my goal, my target, my one chief aim in this life is to please God and nobody else. That's it. And when I did that, when that, and the tr- that truth became a reality, <laughs> I was actually taking a shower. And it seems like some of the most spiritual moments happen when you're either sitting on the toilet or oh. you're standing in the shower.
1: I'll agree with shower
0: one. Um, and um, so I'm standing in the shower, and it's like God just revealed to me this truth. He said, Spencer, I would rather you please me and disappoint people than please people and disappoint me. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. And it was freeing. It was mm-hmm. like, that's all I got to do. that That's it. And.
1: But I think that came from other things that had taken place in your life to get you to that clear state of thinking, like you were yeah. saying. Like that fog lifting. and Yes to hear those words from the Lord,
0: to hear that truth,
1: to let that truth sink in and to really claim it and believe it.
0: I began to see decisions that I was making cause disappointment in people. And then I began to see that there were going to be decisions made in the future coming in the near future at that point that was going to bring great disappointment. And God prepared me to make, to execute those decisions and to do it without fear. And to be able to do it in a way that my number one and my only aim was to please God and please Him alone and not to worry about disappointing people. I knew it was going to. I knew it was going to hurt. But as I look back on some key decisions that were made in our life, I look back, I have zero regret. I have zero regret. And I know that the decisions that were made were specifically made with the goal of pleasing God and that's really kind of how I've how I've over the last three years three four years now going on five that's my goal that's my aim Mm -hmm. and it has caused me to slow down it's caused me to be more intentional about making sure that I lead myself I'm very, I I focus on leading myself so that I can be healthy here at home, Mm -hmm. so that I can be healthy at work, and that I can be available for people. Um, Whether that is to pray for pastors, whether that is to be able to serve my staff. Um, I just, I think it was Dallas Willard, having a conversation with John Ortberg in Dallas had told John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And that's what I've tried to do. I've just tried to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life.
1: Yes. Well, thank you. And as we wrap this up, I think that's key that if, if we don't work on our own, um, health and mental health is specifically what we're talking about today, Um, we aren't able to do the things that the Lord wants to do with us. We aren't able to um, fully be those ambassadors and ministers of grace and hospitality and um, showing the fruits of the Spirit if if we don't make sure we're in a healthy mental place. And you and I have talked that there's varying degrees of severity. Mm -hmm. But I think you would agree that the goal of us sharing this today, you sharing your story, talking about this, is to let people know that there is hope and there is help. Yes. And that comes in lots of different forms and it's a process. And, and in you sharing your story, I know that you want to eliminate some of the stigma that goes along with, um, you know, these, this mental illness and, um, we want to encourage people to reach out, um, to someone for that help to find that hope that they need.
0: Yes. I can remember and I'll, I know we're going to wrap this up. I can remember communicating this to a person who was a part of our church. Mm -hmm. And he said, you don't need to tell anybody this. and I was like um well the first thing I wanted to do is I want to punch him in the mouth because that's honest it 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 came it came from pride and pride ain't gonna get you anywhere
1: no but it also has the connotation of shame and guilt shame. and like that's not of the lord
0: no And the best thing that anybody can do, if you're dealing with any severity of mental and emotional illness, there is hope and there is help. Yes. There is hope and there is help. And the first step is owning it. The first step is owning it. Reach out. Reaching out Mm -hmm. and getting the help you need so desperately. That is it. And once you get help, then you stay on that course. You stay on that track.
1: Surround yourself with the support And you
0: surround yourself with the right people who are going to love you, who are going to hold you accountable, and who are going to stick with you through and through, and that I, I don't know what else, I don't know what else to say on that, but I just there is hope and there is help.
1: Well, it takes me back to my favorite verse, John ten ten, and it talks about how the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But and here's the good news, the great news. I, Jesus said, have come that you would have life and that you would have it to the fullest.
0: Yep, that's a good word. And
1: that's our prayer for you.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Court of Three podcast today. We appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you value the content we produce, would you please leave us a review on iTunes? You can also email us at the chord of three at gmail.com. That is T-H-E-C-O-R-D O F and the number three. The chord of Three at Gmail.com. We'll also have that in the show notes. Or you can message us, us message us on Instagram at cordof3, of Three. That is C-O-R-D underscore O F underscore three. If you or someone you know is dealing with an emotional or mental illness, remember, there is hope and there is help. If Lisa or I can connect you with a counselor, please let us know. Until next week, we love you and are grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening to the Court of Three podcast today. We appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you value the content we produce, would you please leave us a review on iTunes? You can also email us at three at gmail.com. That is T-H-E-C-O-R-D-O-F and the number three, three at gmail.com dot com we'll also have that in the show notes or you can message us us message us on instagram at chord of three that is c o r d underscore o f underscore three if you or someone you know is dealing with an emotional or mental illness remember there is hope and there is help if lisa or i can connect you with a counselor, please let us know. Until next week, we love you and are grateful for you.